Let us pray. Lord, as we come to this time where your word is read, we ask that you bless the reading of it, and that you ask, we ask that you bless the hearing of it. And we echo the words of the hymn that we just a few moments ago sang. Silently now we come to thee, ready, our God, your will to see. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we may see. Spirit divine, Lord, come into this place, rest with us, clear away all distractions, and speak to us now. Bless this time that we have in your presence and in the presence of each other. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the things that, that Roger does with the bulletin, and, and before he did it, Miss Caroline, Caroline did it, and, and so no telling how long it's been going on, but I, I love that it's done every week. If you look at the inside of your bulletin, where it says the date, it also says what the occasion is, where we are on the liturgical calendar. And if you look today, it says we're in the sixth, this is the sixth Sunday of Easter. And I've kind of been preaching this for, for a little while now. Easter is not just a day, it's a season. Because remember, when Jesus rose from the dead, that was a glorious, wonderful day. But he dwelt on earth after his resurrection for uh, several weeks before his ascension. And so we celebrate that season. 
But here we are six weeks removed from Easter and the excitement of that day may have faded. It may have waned a little bit. That's what happens when we have a day of celebration, a day of triumph. That day is really special and the further back in our memory it goes, uh, the more that excitement seems to fade away a little bit. Uh, When Peter wrote this letter to the church, he was uh, addressing sort of the same thing. The church had, um, they had come to believe in Jesus. They had heard about Jesus, his, his life, his teachings, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And now, by this point, years had gone by. And the church was starting to be persecuted. They were starting to suffer. Many people were dying for the cause. And so Peter wrote this letter uh, as, as uh, a form of encouragement to say, I know that we are far removed from that now. That is something that is in the past that once you were very excited about, and now we've come up against some mundane times, some trying times, some, some very heavy-handed times where you might experience suffering and persecution. But I want to encourage you to, to suffer with a good heart, to suffer as Christ Jesus did. And so it was during this time of waning excitement that Peter wrote this letter. Now what he did uh, when he talked about this was he appealed to their passion. If you were here for our Good Friday service, you might remember I talked about the biblical definition of passion Um, It means to suffer or be willing to suffer for someone or something you love. We talk about the passion of Christ. There was a movie called The Passion of Christ. And that, that meant that Christ suffered, and not just that he suffered, but that he was willing to suffer for those that he loved. And so Peter is talking about the passion of Christ here, and he's comparing our suffering, our persecution with the passion of Christ that we are willing to suffer for the things we love. We use that word passion now flippantly. We say that we we are passionate about, you know, a certain food or a certain movie or or something like that. But, But really, passion means something that we love so much that we are willing to suffer for it. And that's what Peter is referring to here. And he says two things about suffering. He says, as you suffer, he says, do it with gentleness and with reverence. Do it with gentleness and with reverence. And then he also reminds us that the one we follow also suffered. And he reminds us that Christ, as he suffered, even to to the point of death, he did it with gentleness and with reverence. And so that brings me to uh, an important question for today, a, a question for us here in Buena Vista United Methodist Church. And also a question for the church here, uh, mainly in America. And that question is, have we forgotten how to suffer? Or maybe a better question is, have we ever really known how to suffer? Do we really know what it means to suffer? Now, I do believe that there are forms of persecution happening here in America against Christians, it happens. And I'll give you some examples of that right now, and and I'm sure some of these will sound very familiar to you. There are antagonistic groups, atheistic groups, who oppose Christianity, and they will raise a fuss, and they will... they're, they're called the, the loud minority, I guess. They, they will raise a fuss and cause a scene over things like 
a manger scene being displayed in public, or someone at a public school saying a prayer. And so these things that are done as an expression of the freedom of religion, get, uh, they, they, there's, there are groups that try to squash that out. And they try to make us feel bad for expressing our faith. So that's a form of persecution. There's another type of persecution that is um, in, in the mainstream media. And I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about here. And that is that if uh, they portray Christians in any light, it's going to be in a negative light. And all you have to do is look at any number of, of movies that come out of Hollywood or any uh, sitcoms that appear on television, and you'll see this. If there's someone who is of the Christian faith, not, not another faith, but of the Christian faith, they're often portrayed as being very narrow-minded, very bigoted, uh, and very intolerant. And this is sort of this, this uh, it's, it's a passive-aggressive stereotyping that's been pushed our way. And it's a form of persecution, although it's a form of persecution on a psychological level. There's also a television show now uh, that's, that's gaining popularity, but a lot of Christians are getting very upset about it, called The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I, I haven't watched it, and I'm, I don't plan on watching it. But it's set in the future, and it shows this, this horrible government that's very oppressive, where the men are allowed to do whatever they, they want to the women. They basically own the women, and the women are supposed to submit to everything. And the government is basically a theocracy. And everything they do is justified by using Scripture from the Bible. The, the point of this show, the message in this show, is that fundamentalist Christians, if not kept in check, this is what the world is going to look like. Which is a very unfortunate message to be pushing in the mainstream media. And yes, it again is a type of persecution that we face. However, if we compare this type of persecution to the persecution experienced elsewhere in the world, we're talking about very small, petty stuff. If you look at Africa, Central Asia, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, you will see persecution that we have nothing, we, we can't even fathom. We have nothing in common with. We can't even wrap our heads around the type of love, the, the level of persecution that happens in these areas. We know about ISIS. We know about what they do. But what they do is absolutely horrible. They, they, they kidnap people. They behead them for their faith. We face no such threat here. I've heard the story of a man, a Coptic martyr, in Egypt, who had just received Christ that day, had just converted to Christianity that day, and was still in the worship service when it was raided. Several of them were kidnapped, taken to the beach, placed on their knees, and told to deny their faith or they would lose their heads. And this man who just accepted Christ earlier that day would not deny Christ. That is keeping your faith in the midst of persecution. That is what it means to suffer for Jesus. That is what it means to suffer for Jesus with gentleness and with reverence, just as he did. 
In 2016, 90,000 Christians were killed for their faith. Every five minutes, a Christian somewhere in the world is martyred. That means by the time I finish this sermon, four more Christians will have been killed for their faith. And when you hear this, and then think about the way we get upset about nativity sets, or the way we're portrayed on a TV show, it seems a little bit silly, doesn't it? But the thing is, we get all up in arms. We get frustrated, and I've seen it so happen. And I'm, and I'm not accusing anybody in here of this, but I've seen so many times it happen on, on social media or even in other churches or in other Christians group, Christian groups where people will get so upset about the fact that we are persecuted here in America, and they will just get argumentative and angry, and they'll fester out, and you'll see these exchanges going back and forth on the internet with, with atheists or agnostics and Christians, and they're arguing, they're calling each other names, and you can't tell who the Christian is. And that happens so often in our world, whenever we feel the least bit of fear, or we feel a little threat against our religious freedom, our reaction is to get mad and to fight back. And that is the opposite reaction of what Peter is saying we should be going for here. Gentleness and reverence like the one we follow had. How should we respond? That's what it comes down to. We are so used to being in an environment where we are free where we can express our religion, where we can express our ideas, that any threat of it will, will anger us. It will put us on the defensive. And we lose any semblance of Christ-likeness we may have in that moment if we're not careful. It's because we're so used to winning. We're so used to being in an environment where everything goes our way. We've become spoiled to it. As an Alabama football fan... The hardest loss I ever experienced was that ridiculous game with one second left against Auburn. (laughs) That game ended so horribly that I went into the bathroom and dry heaved. I thought that I was going to throw up. (laughs) And the reason why was because for three years we had been winning. For three years... I felt like we had a shot at winning the title over and over and over again. And it kept happening, but I'd gotten so used to it going my way that that one game just really made me sick. Now, to lose wouldn't have been a big deal for Auburn. They're used to losing. But for me, I was not used to it. And that happens here in our nation. When we experience freedoms that we take for granted, that other people in other places of the world don't experience. And when we think there might be even the slightest threat against that, or, or some group makes us feel bad about what we believe, or they, they, uh, they, they challenge our faith in some way. Because we are so used to being in an environment where Christianity is the norm, where it is accepted, Then we get defensive, and when we get defensive, we often don't know how to respond. 
Peter says there are several things we should keep in mind should we suffer, should we be persecuted for our faith. The first thing he says is do not fear what they fear. In other words, the ones who persecute often do so out of fear, right? The groups that are turned against Christianity, the groups that persecute us, it's because they're afraid of something themselves. Maybe they're afraid of the truth. But there's a reason that they are persecuting Christians. There's a reason they are causing us to suffer. And it's rooted in fear. And if we retaliate, if we become like them, if we argue back, if we become angry, then we also have reacted in fear. Fear of them. And Peter is saying, do not fear as they fear. And then the second thing he says is, but give honor to God. Sanctify God in your heart. Regardless of what is happening, whether you are being blessed or cursed, whether great things are happening, whether you're being persecuted, whether you're suffering, whatever it is, honor God with your heart. That is first and foremost. That is what we exist to do. And when we become irritable and angry and argumentative, then we are not honoring God with our heart. Then Peter goes on and he says, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. So he's not saying don't take a stand. Peter is saying take a stand for what you believe. Take a stand for your faith. Always be ready to give a defense. Don't back away from it. But, he says, do it with gentleness, with reverence, with love in a way that honors God, just as Christ Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died in a way that honored God with reverence, with passion, gentleness, and with love. Peter says that when we do this, we put those who disagree with us to shame. Unfortunately, I think a big problem in our culture is that we have forgotten how to disagree. That, that goes for the church. That goes for the political realm. That goes for everything. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. We live in a world where we have forgotten how to disagree. Everything is a crisis. Everything is an argument. Everything is a reason to draw a line, to throw up a wall, to cast somebody else as the other and to, to fight them off, to live in fear, to live in anger. And that's not what we should be doing. Have you ever tried to argue with somebody who just won't argue back? You can't do it. And it's really irritating if you try to do it. A, a cousin of mine, a female cousin of mine, married a, a, a guy who was um, very laid back. He is very laid back. Uh, he just won't argue. You can't get him rattled. And I remember uh, not long after they got married, I asked her, I said, um, does he ever get mad about anything? I mean, he just seems so easygoing. He seems like he never gets mad about anything. She kind of rolled her eyes. She said, it's so irritating because there are times where I really want to argue with him. And I can't because he won't argue back. You can't argue with someone who won't argue back. And if someone challenges us, if they persecute us, if they think they're going to make us suffer, but we respond with love, Peter says it puts them to shame. Because we are the ones 
who are resembling Christ in that moment. We are the ones showing love. We are the ones showing gentleness and reverence, even in the midst of that persecution. In the book of James, James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee. But when you refuse to engage, when you refuse to argue back or respond with defensiveness or with anger, you are resisting the devil. You are not arguing back and they will flee. But the second you become angry and you start going back and forth, that's when you haven't resisted the devil, you've engaged the devil. And it just goes from there. And that's what happens when I said I've seen so many arguments. They break out on Facebook all the time. Sometimes it's, it's entertaining to read, but it's only entertaining for a minute. And then it becomes really sad because, like I said, you can't tell who the Christian is and who the non-Christian is. They're going back and forth in anger. The devil has been engaged. And the enemy in that moment is winning because they are making us like them. Proverbs 25:22 says, If your enemy is hungry, if he is thirsty, feed him. Give him something to drink. By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Paul quoted this verse in Romans and said, Afterwards, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, if you've got someone that is out to get you for your faith, if you've got someone who is trying to make you suffer, they are persecuting you, the best way to overcome that is to love them, to do good, to overcome evil with good. And I know it seems unfair. I know that's a tall order. But Peter says whenever you are, are, are required to suffer for your faith, count it as joy. It's a privilege. It's a blessing to be able to suffer for the one who suffered for us. To be able to do that in that moment means that we are truly following Christ and His example. And if we don't do that, we are becoming like the enemy. The moment we become like those who persecute us or who make us suffer, they have won. That's what it all comes down to. Do we want to be like those who persecute? Or do we want to be like the one who was persecuted? Do we want to be like the ones who cause suffering? Or do we want to be like the one who suffered for us? Let us remember Christ suffered because he loved. And he is the one that we follow. When the opportunity comes for us to suffer just as he suffered, let us rejoice. Let us use that opportunity to make our stand, to proclaim our faith, but to do it in gentleness, with reverence, in a way that brings our enemies to shame, but also glorifies our God in heaven. Suffer with love. Suffer with passion and with purpose. If we don't, we are no better than the world. But if we do, our God will be glorified. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we live in an environment where we don't have to truly know what it means to suffer for our faith. We don't have to, to worry about gathering here and being executed or murdered for our beliefs. 
On Palm Sunday, as we were in here worshiping Lord, we know that over in Egypt there was a congregation where ISIS came in and executed so many people as they worshiped. Forty-six people to be exact. And the next week on Easter Sunday, that congregation, those who survived, were back in church worshiping again. Lord, we pray that you make our faith that strong. We pray that you give us the resolve to worship you with that type of heart. To suffer for you with that type of persistence, that type of gentleness, and that type of testimony. We thank you for any opportunity that may come up where we are persecuted, where we do suffer for you because we know that you suffered for us. We ask that when those moments come, when those trials come, you will make us strong, you will make us able to stand for what is right, but to not lose our Christ-like character in the process. We can only do this through the power of your Holy Spirit, which you give to us. For that Spirit and its power, we pray, we yearn for it, Lord. We ask all these things in your holy name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 156. I love to tell the story. That's hymn number 156 in your United Methodist hymnal. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you and encourage you to come forward and share that with us. The altar is always open if you would like to spend a few moments here. But please stand if you are able. Join us in singing hymn number 156. I love to tell the story.